are Locked On Wildcats. Your daily podcast on the Arizona Wildcats. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks for keeping it locked on, Wildcats, and a happy Monday to all the folks out there. We've got a lot to get to this episode. I'm joined in joined in studio or around my coffee table by one John Schuster. We've got Bruno the dog right now looking for some love as well. Hello, Shu. How are you? Uh, hi, Mike Luke. Hi, Bruno the dog. Hi, un- as yet unsponsored coffee table because everybody else has a sponsored we studio. Exactly. So we might as well have a sponsored coffee but table But the one eventually. thing about it, though, is that you were looking for a built bar mm-hmm. earlier in this week. And were you successful in finding uh, a built I, bar? I, well, I was. Let, let's keep in mind. Let's keep in mind. I think this is... You know, because you, you've talked throughout the Bilt Bar process about how Mike Luke uses Bilt Bars and Brad Alice mm-hmm. should get into the Bilt Bar, uh, right, right, Bar and, right. uh, you know, same with Rob and, mm-hmm. you know, Jason. And it's I've a way tried, of life. I've tried, you know, I've found the Bilt Bar. I tried the Bilt Bar. But let's be honest, it's not about us. Right. It's about you. It's about you. Out there listening to this pod, you've just come away from your personal training session with, I don't know, Terrence, eh, not Terrence, Magnus, Chad. Yeah. Your personal trainer, Chad, okay? And Chad gave you, uh, it was leg day. And you know leg day sucks, all right? And you could tell, you tried your best, you did a bunch of reps, and you could tell Chad was disappointed. Chad wants to talk to you about gains, and you, you want to nail those down. And the best was so, you're listening, you've heard this podcast every day, and you're thinking, what's that energy bar that Mike Luke talks about all the time? It's, uh, I hear him talking about it during the, built bar, that's it, built bar. So you got a GNC next, right near you. Go to GNC, check out the flavors, pick up a built Bar, two and a half bucks. Easy. Give it a try. See what you think. My guess is that the next time you see Chad, gains will occur, and you're going to be pleased with the direction you're going, all because you went to GNC, picked up a built Bar. And they're not going to be just the modest gains that maybe a Mike Luke gets. They could be gains that would be taking, you know, the average person two to three years that you might be getting in three months. That's what we're talking about with built Bar. I think you're going to be pleased. A guy that we looks like he does consume built Bars is DeAndre Ayton. And everybody that, well, if you didn't watch, you should have been watching. The Phoenix Suns beat down the L.A. Lakers in the uh, first, uh, first round of the playoffs. And DeAndre Ayton was arguably the best player on the court. And we're going to get to him in a little bit, in a few minutes. But, shoot, when I first saw DeAndre Ayton step foot on campus, or step foot on campus when I first saw him on TV for the first time, I just remembered myself thinking, I don't know that I've ever quite seen anybody that looks like that here. See, let me ask you this, because you have been on the front line of DeAndre Ayton coming to the University of Arizona and what he was going to mean and his talent pretty much from the get-go. Now... We see him in the NBA. We know he's a number one pick. There are a lot of other people who saw this as well. But when you looked at him, what jumped out at you? Well, just everything. First of all, you don't see seven-footers that, first of all, are built like that come to the U of A. Uh, generally, even the really good ones are the Lauren Woods, the, I mean, heck, even the uh, the really the muscular ones, the Tarzuskis, they all, they're all missing something. Well, you look at DeAndre Ayton, and he wasn't really missing anything. I mean, he had a great body. His fluidity was fantastic for a man that size. You could tell basketball came easy for him. He could catch everything. He could finish around the hoop. My biggest problem with him, and I think this probably showed itself during the Buffalo game, is that there was a lot of times that he just looked disinterested, that it was like you were just kind of going through the motions. And when Sean Miller said that he didn't know that any – 
player that looked like DeAndre Ayton had ever come through this. I, I agree with him. And I remember Brian Jeffries, who said he was walking through McHale one time, and the first time he saw DeAndre Ayton, he's like, I've never seen somebody with shoulders that basically took up the entire hallway. And I remember watching him throughout that year, and Arizona ran into a buzzsaw against Buffalo, obviously. But that was the year I thought that, you know, if Arizona gets this going, come NCAA tournament time, if they were able to hit on the right on the right footing, I thought they were the best team in the country, the most talented team in the country. That obviously never came to fruition, but at the end of the day, he's a guy that I think you can see why he was the first pick in the draft. And we're going to get to it in a few minutes, some of my frustrations with the modern-day NBA. But he's just a guy that I don't know that we'll see somebody that looks like that come through here again. It has been, uh, you know, interesting, his... His arrival here, and I'm not sure as weird as this sounds, if the chapter for him is going to be told, even though he was at the University of Arizona for what amounted to being four months. Right. Okay. And, you know, yeah, he was embroiled in a portion of the scandal, but he's basically been cleared, or at least there's no... Arizona got, their hand, Arizona got their hands caught in the cookie jar on a lot of things. The DeAndre Ayton one was at yeah. least one that it seemed like sloppy reporting. And I wonder if Ayton is going to be a lot like Jason, something like Jason Terry in this regard, because Terry was respected, understandably and rightfully, when he was here. Mm -hmm. But it seems like Terry's U of A star grew even more by virtue of how he played in the NBA. Right. I think it's safe to say Terry's the best Arizona player in the history of the NBA. Yeah, for sure. His NBA career, his no on-court NBA yeah. career was better than any other Wildcat. He didn't have the apex of Arenas, but his longevity combined with his productivity was the best. Yeah. For sure. No doubt. Okay. So now we're maybe seeing the blossoming of Aiton. Remember, Aiton was controversial, uh, not necessarily as the number one pick, but there were two other really good picks that came out that year. And as things started in that rookie year, everybody uh, went with uh, the Luke, Dallas kid. Luka Doncic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and he was the guy, and he was the new thing, and he was awesome, all of which is true. Mm -hmm. uh, but and if that draft's held again, he's the number one and, pick yeah. uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yet, Aiton doesn't look like a bad pick right now at number one. He does and he doesn't. You know what it is a little bit to, to me like? It's a little bit like you go back to the 83 draft where, yeah, you should have chosen Michael Jordan, but you know what? We got Akeem Olajuwon, so nobody's really going to shed any tears for you. The thing that's going to be interesting to see and how DeAndre Ayton progresses is what happens to him in the NBA. Now, you're a, uh, you've got some connections with people close to the Warriors, or, you know, you and Mulebacher buddies, and, uh, you know, Steve Kerr, obviously, there. You've, uh, I don't want to say you root for the Warriors, but you at least follow them as much as you follow any NBA. I team. like the Warriors, sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, they're 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 or were more entertaining to watch at one point. Correct. Now, right. now, now I have a lot of issues with the quote unquote NBA uh, entertainment factor of the NBA. Mm -hmm. Not that's some, something that we can to well maybe we won't table. We might yeah. venture into that in the second oh, yeah. half of the podcast here. But uh, yeah, there's there, there's certainly. Uh, a, a lot to enjoy there, and Kerr did a very nice job and has done a very nice job. You know, you figure that Golden State's a team that's going to be back into the conversation. But we'll see what, again, it's one playoff game. Right. We'll see, the Lakers in Game 2 could figure things out, turn it around. You know, it's not like they were blown out of that game. Uh, they, they can figure some things out and be a real problem in this series before it's all said and done. And if that's the case, if the Lakers as a number one seed go on to win this series, you know, four games to two and made necessary adjustments to limit Aiton or something like that, the entire narrative changes. Right. But 
for an initial playoff game for a franchise that's looking for something that's had a good regular season, what Aiton did in his first playoff game was very, very impressive indeed, and it bodes well for the direction that his NBA career is going. The great thing about Built Bar, or excuse me, about uh, Locked On, is that it's taken off like wild, wildfire right here. And you know what? I think that we can look at it and say that the Built Bar movement that was, I think, at least pushed throughout the inception by Mike Luke and John Schuster has gone off to another level. And that it's to the point now where you've got even more places and more uh, companies that are uh, jumping on. The latest one is Lucy. So, just so you know, Lucy is the cleaner nicotine alternative. I don't smoke. I do consume Built Bars, so there's my read for you. That's beautifully rad. Keep it locked on, Wildcats. Thanks for keeping it locked on, Wildcats. I'm your host, Mike Luke, joined by John Schuster. All right, Chu, let's talk. I just admire the professionalism. It's unmatched. It is. It really is. This coffee coffee table studio, which deserves a sponsorship. Maybe this is the uh, Lucy Cleaner Nicotine Alternative Coffee Tables Podcast Studio. I I think we could throw that right here. You know, at some point, who knows where Lucy's going to take this. It really does. Lucy meets Chad, and Uh, then... The one thing that bothers me about the NBA right now, and we're going to kind of bring this back to DeAndre Ayton, is that it seems that every really good seven-footer now basically has to be somebody that does one of two things. They either stand out in the perimeter shooting threes, or they're just a screen-and-roll guy. There really is no traditional, I mean, Joel Embiid, I guess, Jokic, but there really isn't any traditional back-to-the-basket big. And I look at DeAndre Ayton, and I thought this during the time, it almost feels like he came around an era too late where he should have, like in the 90s, he would be a guy that's getting you 20 and 10 every single night. And everybody wants him. And everybody wants him. Here's and every, my, yeah, everybody demands that guy on your roster. Here's yeah. my, and there's nothing more frustrating than watching a guy of Aiton's talent being guarded by somebody six foot five and he's shooting 18 foot jumpers. That's insane to me. I don't care about all the spacing and all of this stuff. As Chuck, Charles Barkley always says, if you're seven foot and you've got a guy who's six foot five guarding you, I don't care if you're a stiff, you're in the NBA. You obviously have some kind of talent there. Go abuse that person. Uh, right. And if you can't abuse that person, you don't belong in the I'm, NBA. I'm, I'm fascinated that someone would choose that the 18 foot jumper was your decision. Every other time, you just back somebody down pretty easy. And then you'd expect a double team and you'd kick it out and move the ball around from there because it's ridiculous that you'd be defended one on one by somebody who's 6'5. You'd own that if every time down the floor. And I don't want to use Shaq as an example because he was such an anomaly just from a physicality strength perspective. But if David Robinson came around today, is David Robinson being utilized in even close to the same manner? Is and is David Robinson even as close to the as impactful a player as he is? There are two answers to this. I All think. right, nice. Both right. Well, if you agree with them, then clearly that would be the case. Uh, the first one is they should be. Mm-hmm. The second one is maybe not. Right. Uh, and that and that is probably wherein lies that because everybody's going to say, well, you need a skill set to where you've got, got to be able to knock down the 18 footer for whatever right. reason. And a lot of these guys, to their credit, can. It is it's kind of like the a tertiary advancement of what's going on on the interior game. Uh, I would view Jabbar as the ver- the first version. Mm-hmm. Nobody does the skyhook anymore. Right. Isn't that unbelievable? Right. And, and just 
Which he, is literally he, an unblockable shot. Unblockable shot. Now, I get why. Right. You know, everybody can double team and strip him when he puts the ball on the ground. Right. I actually do understand mm -hmm. why that isn't. It's kind of like, it's a little bit different than Rick Barry at the foul line, but there are similarities right. to, you know. It's, it's got a little bit of reasons. a gimmick type it, feel. Yeah, yeah. But Jabbar is a, you know, legendary Hall of Famer as a result of that shot. Mm -hmm. But He's on the Mount Rushmore of anything. No, nobody's on the Mount Rushmore of anything. Mike Luke dominates every Mount Rushmore that ever was in every category. Please talk to Rob Lance about your Mount Rushmores. <laughs> Sorry, Rob, I'm pinning that off on you. Uh, and, and then the second version was in essence Shaq. Right. You know, who, and, and it was just post-up basketball. Right. And then you tried to score as a result of that. Now you have this third evolution kind of Euro thing going on where everybody who's seven feet has to shoot from 18 feet or beyond. A lot of them can do it. Right. But, and it's kind of, I guess if you wanted to myopically look at this from an Arizona standpoint, you, you had a guy here who was 6'10", oh. who's, who made a 12-year career out of himself because largely he shot three-pointers. Right. That was Channing Fry. Mm -hmm. And now you have DeAndre Ayton, who should be used as a traditional post-up guy. Right. In addition to the pick-and-roll stuff that works well with Booker and Paul. Right. But you can do that with Ayton, and Ayton ought to have the skill set to be able to get that done. And if he doesn't on a consistent basis, then who is the you're miss, maybe, who is maybe the missing most, some opportunities. Who is the most talent? And I know you don't really like most in lists and everything, but you know what? It's my podcast. <laughs> I'm going to put this one on there for you. <laughs> who is the most naturally talented big man you saw at the U of A before uh, Ayton came here? Gen there's generally one answer that people generally throw out there. Okay. It was a Brian Williams? No. Really? All right. Who you got? Who you got? Brian Williams is a really, really, really good one. Mm -hmm. And if you wanted to make a favorable argument for Williams, I'd listen to it. Lauren Woods. Lauren Woods. I felt like Woods had you a different... You thought he had the kind of potential, though, to be able to play on the perimeter? No, I did not think that. I've heard this rumor. Uh, I've heard this ugly <laughs> internet rumor going around. Sometimes I've heard this in other electronic media and on certain message boards that somebody with whom I used to work claimed that I thought Lauren Woods would be a... Kevin Durant type. Yeah, Kevin Durant type and, and just bomb threes from that. It turns out maybe Woods, whereas Aiton might have been too late, Woods, Woods may have been too early. <laughs> Woods would have been fantastic just bombing from three. According to this former uh, right. co-worker, right. apparently I said that at some point and I wholly deny it on this podcast. Uh, but yeah, I, thought, I thought from a especially... I don't know that I've seen anybody on the interior dominate defensively. Dominate like defensively, that. Like where it was just did. like, and you know, it's funny going back here. The the one team that I always have the what if questions about, or there's a couple of U of A sure, teams. Sure, sure. Was the was the nine was the ninety nine two thousand team, and again the 2000-2001 team goes to the finals. You play Duke, but if you remember the way that Arizona closed that season before Woods got hurt with the back. He was blocking eight shots a game, it seemed. I mean, I think there was one right. game where he had 13, and yeah. it just felt like, oh, man, dude, if you get they into the tournament, somebody. they got really uh -huh. something in yeah. there right there. And and Olsen, I think, did a very nice job of utilizing Woods to the best of his skill set, mm -hmm. and that obviously helped as well. Right, right. Now, what would Lute have done differently with DeAndre Ayton? Uh, well, he, he might have been cheering on the sideline thinking, man, this— Coaching job really isn't all that difficult after all. <laughs> yeah, right. This is easy. <laughs> I bring that guy in here. I think. Uh, I think you want to talk about floor spacing. I think uh, Aiton would have had 
plenty. I, th I think the question isn't with Aiton and Olsen maybe on the offensive side. The question perhaps is on the defensive I, side. I agree with that. And, and I think you were probably moving in that direction. This is, this is one of the major complaints that I always had about Miller, whereas I thought Olsen was better at this and a little bit different. Miller came in with one style for every player. Mm -hmm. Pack line, man-to-man, -man, pick up your guy, stay with your guy, defend your guy. Right. Okay? And we're going to run a mechanical offense. And we're going to run a... But, but on the defensive end, we'll worry right. about the defensive aspect mm -hmm. of it as for, at, at first. The problem that I had with that is... And I would use... I think on a fairly regular basis, uh, Redon, uh, Ivan Rodenovich. Ivan Rodenovich as an example. Rodenovich was a... Athletically limited, a big guy had good skill set, but had some limitations uh, as far as lateral movement was concerned. So, you know, under Miller, you've got a guy like that. Dusan Ristich is a is a is a better Miller example of this. Right. You've got a guy like that who you want to defend in a certain way. Who every time he takes the floor has an athletic disadvantage. Right. So defensively, he's not going to be very good. What Olson would do. And this is where the Aiton aspect comes into place. Aiton was a guy who struggled on the defensive end more often than he should have. It's absurd. Right. So what you try to do is play angles. You play a little bit of geometry. You figure out, in essence, in scouting, you have to stop one. You have to stop A, B, and C. You're limited defensively. You stop A. Make the other player beat you with his B move or his C move. But always go to that. Make sure you stop A. Beyond that, if he's faster than you, you play angles. You play back a little bit. Make him beat you off the dribble. Give yourself a little bit more room to function. Figure out what the offensive player's weakness is and try to limit your deficiencies against that. I thought Olsen was very good at that. And there were a lot of players on the Wildcat teams that had were, were not wholesale athletes. Right. Okay? When that's the case and you're playing against guys who are more athletic than you, you can't go to war the same way saying, this is how we're going to do this regardless and I'm not going to give in you any help. In every single time. In right. every single... And, and, then, and then when you get beat, you act like it's the player's fault right. instead of recognizing that maybe you have to adjust some things to cater to your talent a little bit. I thought Olsen was really good at that sort of thing. And I think when you're asking about the Aiton question, he would have figured out in the process, what is it that Aiton can do Right. Well, that benefits us. And one of those things could have been maybe you figure out ways to put Aiton in certain slots and, uh, and, and block some shots, get out on the offense. Or I know this guy's going to get 15 rebounds a game. Every time he gets a rebound, I've got two guys on the outlet and we're running. The thing that never made sense to me about Aiton was that he didn't block shots here. Mm -hmm. when, you've got, when you've got a guy that can run... And just move like that, move like a guard. And like we talked, the fluidity, the dexterity, he obviously understands basketball. It's not like basketball doesn't come naturally to him. I never understood that either from a weak side or an on-man defensive perspective that he couldn't block shots. But I will say this. If I always felt that when I saw him, and is it fair to say that the most naturally gifted guy that you covered during your time at Arizona was Gilbert Arenas? I think that's fair. Okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. I never. I wasn't obviously covering Arizona at the time, but DeAndre Ayton was hands down the most physically gifted player that I've seen during my time at the U of A. And so I thought when he was drafted, I'm like, the, it, this guy should be a Hall of Fame level basketball player. Now, 
21 and 16 against Anthony Davis and the LeBron James uh, led Lakers. It's a nice team. start. It's a nice start, and we're certainly going to keep you up to date on what goes on there. But you know what? DeAndre Ayton maybe heard locked on Wildcats earlier because we did talk about him about a week and a half ago. And you know, DeAndre, we assume you listening or listening. And uh, best of luck. You've been listening to Locked On Wildcats.